Welcome to the Migraine Miracle Moment. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Turknet. I'm a neurologist, migraine specialist, migraine sufferer, and author of the book, The Migraine Miracle. In this podcast, you'll learn all about how to find your path to migraine freedom without pills. Let's get started. Okay, well, first of all, Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you had a great holiday season. Of course, this is the time of year where we take a moment to reflect on what happened the year before, as well as uh, the sorts of things we'd like to devote our energies to in the coming year. And for some of you, I know that means putting the Migraine Miracle Program into action to slay the beast for good, and for others maybe to get back on track with that project. But of course, um, that likely involves changing some long-standing habits and routines, which we know isn't easy. I think we're all familiar with the relatively dismal uh, statistics on keeping New Year's resolutions, a a testament to the challenge of making lasting changes to our behavior. And last year, we actually did a 30-day challenge with all of our Migrant Neverland members that was devoted to the topic of making, making lasting changes specifically how to apply the research that's been done in the past several decades in this area to become better at doing that. Ultimately, um, establishing new habits and routines requires that we change our brain, and that's a topic that I am intimately familiar with. And at the conclusion of our challenge last year, I gave a live session with our members about the keys to making lasting changes, trying to distill all that uh, we've learned into a practical guide for all of us. And uh, in today's podcast, I'm going to share an excerpt from that presentation. If you are a Migrant Neverland member, you will find the entire presentation along with the recordings of all of our other prior live sessions um, inside of the Migrant Neverland virtual classroom. And speaking of slaying the beast this year, we will be starting our first Jumpstart Challenge of this year on Saturday, January 22nd. So if you want to get in on that and start this year with a full head of steam, then we would love to have you. Participation in these challenges is uh, one of the many benefits of being a Migrant Everland member. And in fact, we have many members who have done the Jumpstart Challenge multiple times because they found it so helpful. If you want to learn more about it, just head to mymigrainemiracle.com forward slash jumpstart. Um, There will be a link in the podcast description as well. And that's where you can go to find out more info and to uh, become a member and so you can take part in the challenge. All right, and now without further delay, here is the excerpt from the Lasting Changes Challenge. All right, well, welcome again to everyone. Glad to see everybody here today. Um, as you know, I'm going to be talking about how we can make lasting changes to our behavior. Um, not an easy thing to do and to be talking some about why that is. Um, but it's an area that I've focused on quite a lot, um, you know, over the past decade or so now after realizing that lifestyle was and lifestyle changes were the most effective tool that we had for helping people, not only with migraines, but pretty much every chronic health condition that I was seeing as a neurologist, um, far more impactful than the drugs that I had to prescribe, um, and that 
you know, lifestyle was both the cause uh, via mismatch and the remedy for so many of the things that I was seeing. But to actually use that as a tool um, means that people have to, we have to help people change their behaviors. And um, that's not something doctors get training in. And so even, even the doctors who may recognize that lifestyle is a major factor uh, and may even recognize it as the most powerful tool that that people could have um, oftentimes don't bother or spend little time on it uh, because number one, uh, the time limits are such that it's virtually impossible to do that sort of work. Um, but also because there's just not the skill set, we don't have the training in that area. Um, so that was a big uh, thing for me to get into uh, after realizing that if I wanted to help give the help that I wanted to, to give, I had to get, you know, learn a lot more about how to facilitate that and other people. Um, and I think that learning how to change our own behavior, uh, really through the formation of new habits is arguably the single most important skill we can learn. It's one of those things that once you start digging into it, you think, why was, you know, why is this not taught in every school, you know, at the very beginning, um, because habits are the prime driver of our actions, either directly, both directly and indirectly. And, you know, they, they drive whether or not they determine whether we reach our goals. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not about our education or where we went to school, but rather, are we able to make changes and stick with them? Um, and when we do reach our goals, it's because of our habits. And when we don't reach our goals, it's because of our habits. So being able to shape them really is a kind of superpower. Um, and it kind of feels like once, once you start getting a handle on this and just see the potential here, uh, you realize that almost anything is possible um, when we learn how to do this well, um, not just for our health, but anything else. And it kind of feels like it's the, uh, the missing owner's manual for being a human that we all should have received, but didn't. Um, so, as most of you know, this uh, Atomic Habits was our books, book club selection for the, this Lasting Changes Challenge. And I'll give you a little bit of backstory on this. Um, so one of my primary interests in the realm of neuroscience uh, for many decades has been the area of neuroplasticity, or, which is the brain's ability to change its own strong structure and function in order for us to acquire new skills and capabilities. And this is, of course, really just the biological underpinning of all learning. And I have a, a company called BrainJo, which is all about using the science of learning and neuroplasticity to help us learn more effectively. And it's primarily targeted towards music. And I've been writing on that topic um, for over a decade now, the applications of, of neuroscience and neuroplasticity and, and uh, learning and learning music. And uh, James Clear, the author of this book, uh, has been writing for several years about behavior change and habit psychology. And I've been following him for a long time. And I kept noticing all of this overlap between what we were writing about, uh, all the same principles. Um, and then it dawned on me that really we were ultimately talking about the same thing, which is how to change the brain. And in my case, I was writing about learning new skills um, in, and, and talking about it through the lens of cognitive neuroscience. And in his case, he was talking about changing more longstanding patterns of behavior through the lens of psychology. But you know what I think is so neat about this is the principles are when you get down to it, exactly the same again, because it's ultimately boiling, boiling down to changing the brain to create 
new circuits and new pathways that help us do new things. And um, I've read a lot of books on behavior change and on habits. You know, it's been a, it's been a hot topic now for for several years, and I think this one is, at least for me, the best distillation of all of the most useful concepts. Um, and so, if you've read the book, then many of the things I'm going to talk about here are going to be familiar. And I've also uh, sprinkled in some quotes from the book uh, throughout. So changing behavior is hard for a few reasons. Um, one reason is that habits are a double-edged sword. So the great thing about them is that they allow us to compound our knowledge and skills uh, through automation. So you know, we can take a complex skill, take the example of, of driving a car, which has all these different tasks that you must learn in order to do it effectively. And the first time you sit behind the wheel, it feels really overwhelming. But kind of one by one, you learn all the little tasks and they become automated in the brain, meaning that we no longer have to spend conscious effort to think about them. And you get to a point where you can do the entire thing without spending any uh, mental energy on it, and you can focus on something else entirely. Um, so the um, so and we have all, you know all all sorts of things like this that we we do day in and day out. And once they once we've learned them to that point, um, that that behavior becomes locked in in a way. And this is the flip side of them. Um, once they're locked in, they're not only triggered automatically, but by cues in our environment, but they tend to unfold the same way each time. So if you think about all the things that you do every day that are habitual, putting on your pants or brushing your teeth, if you were to take a video of those uh, you know, every day for a year, you could probably superimpose them all on each other and they would look identical. Um, and so we are, you know, the things that we end up reinforcing become literally a part of us and so are harder to then not do than to do. Um, so that's one reason why they serve as a double-edged sword. Um, and the other is that they, as we age, they accumulate. Um, so, you know, when we're, when we're young, we're a blank slate and we fill in our brain with habits. Um, and then we reach a point and we, where we can make it through our day pretty much on autopilot, just engaging these learned habits and behaviors. And that means that there's less, less motivation to learn new ones, but also less space. So we have to figure out how to fit in our, our new ones with the old ones or unlearn ones in some cases. Um, so this is a, uh, quote from that a quote of a quote from the book um as the psychologist carl jung said until you make the unconscious conscious it will direct your life and you will call it fate so you know by the time we're adults habits dominate our life uh, as he said in the book uh, about 50 percent of our daily habits have i mean our daily actions have been categorized or can be categorized as habitual but their influence is even greater than that because they then shape the scope of of possible they define what behaviors come after this. So they are the dominant influence of our actions. And yet, because they exist beneath the surface or beneath the radar and in our unconscious, it's easily easy to be completely unaware of how big a role they play. So, but if we want to change our behavior, we must first understand why we do the things we do. And that means understanding uh, the psychology behind and the, and the uh, neuroscience behind habits. And 
I think so many people go through their lives frustrated by the fact that they continue to repeat the same mistakes or behaviors uh, despite the best of intentions, despite wanting to do other things instead, precisely because number one, they're unaware of just how big a role habits play. And number two, don't know how um, to break old ones and form new ones. Um, second reason is the fixed mindset, uh, the, which the, is captured in the adage of you can't teach old dogs new tricks, which once you believe that becomes self-fulfilling, right? So if you don't believe that change is possible, then you're not going to attempt it. Um, but what we absolutely know now is that that's false, um, and that's because our brains remain plastic and adaptive throughout our lives, and that's so, to allow us to continue to adapt to the wide range of environments. That's been you know, one of the cardinal features of our species compared to others is that we can, we can inhabit all sorts of different environments because we can customize our brains to those environments. And so that allows us to acquire new knowledge and skills and behaviors throughout our lives. Uh, but as mentioned earlier, um, even though habits drive most of our behavior, we were really never, we've never really been shown how it all works. Never given the owner's manual. All right. So um, a few key principles that uh, to keep in mind about this topic and when it comes to thinking about changing our habits. So the first is that Lasting changes um, do not happen through willpower. Willpower does not work. So we don't make changes through force of will. Um, in other words, getting better at doing hard things or thinking that we need to, to, to try to just do better at doing something that we find hard or unpleasant or challenging is always a losing strategy. But this is how a lot of people think about it. I know from conversations with patients over the years, whether it's diet, exercise, you know, sleeping better, stopping smoking, almost always failure to change or stop an old behavior is almost always chalked up to a failure of will. So I'm not disciplined enough, or I just need to do better. Um, and again, as discussed before, this is really because of the lack of awareness of how, of the power of habits, um, that it's not about willpower and discipline. So we actually um, change um, and adopt new behaviors by transforming hard things into much easier things. And the ultimate way to do this is through the formation of a new habit. So here's a quote from the book. When scientists analyze people who appear to have tremendous self-control, it turns out those individuals aren't all that different from those who are struggling. Instead, disciplined, in quotes, people are better at structuring their lives in a way that does not require heroic willpower and self-control. In other words, they spend less time in tempting situations. The people with the best self-control are typically the ones who need to use it the least. So again, the illusion is that those who are labeled as disciplined, who are considered to be models of self-control, and who are able to maintain good habits and avoid uh, bad ones. Most people attribute that to having stronger willpower, but that's not uh, the case. What they've done is structured their lives in ways that don't require the use of willpower in order to engage in their desired behaviors. And 
the, um, our goal with, uh, here is to structure things in our own lives uh, so that we lead the life we want to lead with a minimum of willpower to do so. Second really important principle is the growth mindset. So if we can identify one broad overarching theme over the past half century in the fields of genetics and neuroscience, it would be that our capacity for change is way larger than we imagined and that we are, we are constantly changing uh, biologically, physiologically, all the way down to the transcription of our genes at every moment. Um, and this is profoundly shaped by the lives we lead and the environment we're in. And this is why, as I've talked about before, migraines can be both genetic and can also not be our fate. So genes only confer a certain, uh, confer something that exists in a particular context or environment. And that means that every environment produces or leads to a unique version of, of, of us and who we are. <clears throat> so given that we're always changing, no matter what, um, it makes sense to understand how we can shape that uh, change in the direction we want. So we can, we have the choice to steer it or we can let it steer us. The third key principle, which is also discussed in the book, um, is the impact of compounding. Um, small things that are done consistently can lead to dramatic and exponential results through um, compounding. And we don't tend to have a good intuitive grasp of just how profound this is or um, of any kind of exponential pro process like this. So this is a gr graph showing um, the classic problem that you probably have heard at some point in your life where someone asks if, if I, you can, you have, you're given two choices. One is I'll give you a million dollars or the other is I'll give you a penny today. And each day I'll give you twice as much as the day before. So you'll double your money each day. And which of those, if you have to choose between those two options, which would you take? And it on face value just seems like a ridiculous question at first. And, and most people are all inclined to take, say, well, of course, I'll take the million dollars. And yet, if you double, uh, if you start with a penny and double every day by the end of the month, you'd have over $10 million with that strategy. So it's by far the uh, more uh, effective one. Uh, but, and, and that's precisely because of the effect of compounding. And we get this same kind of compounding effect by layering habits on top of each other. So as James Clear mentioned, says habits are the compound interests of self-improvement. And this is what makes our brain so remarkable. And one of and the fundamental part of what's so extraordinary about human intelligence is that we are able to automate knowledge and behavior, which then allows us to layer new knowledge and behaviors on top of it, which then generates compounding effects. So things, intelligence doesn't scale linearly, but it does so exponentially. Here's another quote that encapsulates kind of the same idea. This one uh, has been attributed to Bill Gates. Most people overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10 years. So basically we often overestimate all that we can accomplish in the short term, but often underestimate what we can do in the long term because it's so hard for us to grasp the impact of compounding. 
the fourth principle that's relevant here is uh, um, the uh, our holistic effects. So as you've probably heard me say multiple times, the Migraine Miracle Program is a holistic program or a holistic approach to health. And what that means is that the impact of all the things that are part of the program comes from the entire system of, of things that we implement rather from any one thing. So it's from all the things acting together. And that's why habits and habit stacking in particular are essential for its implementation. And, uh, and a holistic program can't work without it because it doesn't rely on any single thing, but rather the combination of many things. Um, on the video that I did uh, as part of the challenge on this idea of habit stacking, which this image comes from, um, I talked about two people who would be implementing the plan, so Jack and Jill. And even if they did the exact same things, they could have entirely different results just depending on whether or not they stacked habits on top of each other um, or whether they went from trying one thing to the next. And if we're still locked into the idea of the silver bullet or the idea that there's one thing out there that's going that holds the key or the answer that we're looking for, then we'll keep doing that process of going from one thing to the next. Uh, so that was Jack's uh, strategy. And if we do that, it's never possible to reap the benefits of a holistic program. And that's just why I spend a lot of time trying to outline the differences between a holistic approach and the standard reductionist approach that's the norm in Western medicine, because it has so strongly influenced how we think about health and illness and can undermine an attempt to implement a holistic um, program. And related to that, uh, the fifth principle being that we want to focus our energies on systems rather than goals. So goals determine where we want to go, um, you know, what our ultimate objective is. But the system is what determines how we get there. And so when we're tracking progress, we want to use metrics that are based on how well we're implementing the system rather than whether or not we've achieved the ultimate goal. And the best way to stick to any system is by forming uh, habits that um, help us to implement them effortlessly. As uh, Clear says in the book, goals are a lagging indicator of our efforts. Um, so this is kind of like the bamboo analogy that I've talked about. Um, he also gives the idea of, of heating up a block of ice. You know, would you, you don't, you know, there's a moment where it goes from solid to liquid but you wouldn't consider that last bit of heat to be the thing that the only thing that caused it to melt. It was all of the heat that it was absorbing for that entire time. Um, or the idea of, of chopping down a tree, you know, if it takes 200 blows of an ax, it's not, it's not, you wouldn't just attribute that to the final blow. Um, so the danger of, of using goals over systems is that using goals as a metric of success can paradoxically keep us from ever reaching uh, the goal that we're after. And that's definitely the case when it comes to implementing the uh, plan. Um, systems are also ongoing, they're a process. So it's not a destination, not something you can finish. And that includes this, the Migrant Miracle Program because there's always more to learn, there's always more to do. Um, and continuous learning is baked into the process. Um, and also in part because we are constantly changing. 
Um, so we must be able to adapt to those changes as they unfold and the system that we're implementing must be able to uh, account for that fact. 